What is going on? Welcome to The Land Podcast. This week, we have David Gorder from North Dakota here on the podcast. And I'm always asking myself, what is the next Illinois before Illinois changed? What is the next Iowa before Iowa changes? And I feel like North Dakota could be potentially one of a, could be a really great state for whitetail hunting. And uh, so I talked to David Gorder, who is a local there, is born and raised, and also a real estate professional. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Hope you guys do as well. Real quick, before we get into this episode, we have the Exodus and Prime RevX giveaway. All you have to do is head to the link in the description and sign up if you haven't done so already. We're going to be sending out an email to let people know whether they won or not on March 13th. So be sure to keep an eye out for that if you have already signed up. And real quick, if you are brand new to this podcast, the goal of it is to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. There's three ways to be involved in that 100 person list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and I can help you, I'm happy to do so. Represent you as a buyer's agent and help you find the right parcel for your goals. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would personally do business with, let me know and I will do my very best. If I don't know anyone where you're looking, I will simply let you know that. Number three, if you just simply learn something from this podcast that helps you take action confidently, let me know. I want to add you to the list. Really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Here we go. David, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going? It's going good, Jake. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, I'm really excited uh, to dive into some some topics here today. Before we get too far into it, uh, where are you at? And tell us a little bit who you are. I'm up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which is right right on the border with Minnesota in the northeast corner uh, of the state. Um, currently in, in a blizzard here, uh, which is fairly common. Uh, this time of year in this region so you know talking about land and especially recreational land is always exciting because you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel um so I, i'm a farmland broker i've been in real estate since 2016. um you know i own uh, acre pro uh, with my wife annie and uh, we sell personally in north dakota minnesota wisconsin and iowa and then we have a team down in indiana who cover indiana Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois, and then we have a team down um, in Iowa as well. Um, so yeah, we've we uh, we've always had a passion for land. Um, Annie's family farms here in the Red River Valley, right around Grand Forks. Um, you know, my my dad grew up on a farm. Uh, my grandpa farmed. My uncle still farms a family farm. So we kind of have that innate uh, that that attachment to land in our blood. You know, everybody up here was uh, usually. Uh, German or Norwegian settlers that came from there uh, with with the dream of owning land and owning their own real estate and, and starting a farm. So uh, it, agriculture is just huge in this in this part of the world. Uh, everybody uh, has a tie to it or still works in it, and and so we've always wanted to be, uh, you know, in farming, in land, and real estate just happened to be kind of what we're good at, and farmland happened to be our passion. So we we put the two together and uh, started a company. That's pretty cool. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I I have German lineage, and I know there's some hofers that run around throughout the Dakotas. Uh, I don't think a direct relation, but uh, that that matches <laughs> up with what you say there. So uh, that's really cool. So, um, what initially, <clears throat> what kind of provoked you to get into real estate? I know you mentioned you know a love for land, and you know there's a lot of things that kind of tie into to where you're at today. But what what because it's a it's a big leap to go out and do what you're doing. So what? What kind of pushed you to do that? Well, started out um, working for um, a company, a retail egg company. So, you know, I was in in egg sales before that, and I sold homes on the side. So that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, it was my side gig to start. But you know, in college, um, 
you know, I, I was in entrepreneurship classes. So I had the opportunity to kind of work on this business as a student. And, and my wife did the same thing for her capstone for her MBA. Um, so we kind of always had this dream and, and you know, so got some experience in the egg space and the egg industry um, and, and eventually took the leap, uh, worked, worked on the farm, you know, to pay the bills right away and, and uh, still do work on the farm whenever we can, you know, we're a lot busier now. Um, but yeah, so it, it was, it started off as a side gig with, with, you know, the end goal in mind that we always wanted to do it full time and, and have it be our primary business. Um, you know, since then we've, we've even branched out into, uh, uh, farm equipment auctions. I'm an auctioneer, so we do a lot of our land sales through auctions. Um, so we're we're always just looking for uh, new ways to serve our clientele, and and uh, and that's yeah, always just kind of motivating to to take new leaps. And that's just kind of who we are. That's cool. So obviously, the land market has gotten a lot of attention and excitement here in the last 12 months. What have you seen there in North Dakota? Has it been just as crazy as everywhere else reported? Yeah, it has been. Um, and, and North Dakota is very diverse, you know, as, as most places are just in the types of land, but just about across the board from the Red River Valley, where we're at in the eastern part of the state, um, you know, to some of the, the ranch land in, in, in the western part of the states and everything in between in the central part of the state, everything's come up pretty high. Um, anything that can be more specialty crop production, like in the Red River Valley, where it's really top-notch um, dirt, has you know probably been up in that 15% range. Um, and it was up; it took a big jump in in uh, 2021 as well. So it's just continued that. Um, you know, th- we have seen some sales here recently that maybe have have been a little bit less than what we've expected. But again, our expectations are have been really skewed by some of these results over the past year. So uh, as a trend, it's still climbing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, pretty reminiscent of everyone else uh, that I've talked to and and what I've seen as well with, with that in mind, knowing, knowing what we know today, and obviously no one can predict the future, but what, what is your gut feeling for the next 12 months or so as a potential buyer or seller? Well, there's, there's definitely some, some additional headwinds, um, you know, with interest rates and, and obviously that plays a big factor, but I kind of thought it would have um, cooled things off a little bit more than it has at this point. So it's really going to depend on individual markets on on the crop year now. Um, we're not too far from the crop going into the ground. And, and so the optimism isn't quite the same, I would say, as it was this time last year. Um, but we, we've had a whole another year of good prices. So there are there is still cash in the country. Uh, there's still a lot of investor interest as well. Um, kind of competing with with local buyers, but I think we're going to see a strong spring. Um, once that spring season wraps up, um, I think you'll see a lot of guys maybe kind of prioritizing towards working capital in the interim, and then it'll just kind of depend on how the year goes. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we see another good year with strong prices, then it'll depend on that each individual region. Okay, did this area go through a drought? Did this area have a lot of replant? Um, the the years that have a strong or sorry, the uh, regions that have strong years, I think you'll see a lot, a lot of demand, um, and it'll just continue to stay, stay good. But obviously, with with grain markets, we've seen you know a couple black swans in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So will we see those prices sustain? That's that's kind of the big question. Yeah, certainly it's the it's a huge question because obviously I feel like farmers across the board are pretty bullish, especially where I'm at right now, yeah. and then they're sitting on some cash, and so it's just uh, from what I've seen, they're still really aggressive. 
And uh, obviously that's to your point, different parts of the country experience different issues, like as far as droughts Mm -hmm. or floodings or, you know, all these different things. So it Mm -hmm. is certainly localized, but overall as a potential buyer, you're, you would be a little bit more optimistic than maybe what you were a year ago to quote unquote, get a deal as things stabilize. That's hard to say, Jake. Um, You should definitely be paying attention. You know, you should you should try to, to to pay attention or talk to people to kind of understand what it's been in the past year and and recognize an opportunity when you see one. But oftentimes an opportunity doesn't look like one at the time. As you'd say over the last few years, some of these sales, some of these purchases, you thought, wow, that guy paid way too much. And now here we are today, you're like, wow, I wish I would have bought all that land back at five thousand an acre, because now it's eight. <laughs> you yeah. know, so so really um opportunity as a buyer in this area when it comes to to farmland specifically is more about the buyer situation situation and knowing where your numbers at because you're going to buy in a in a pretty squeezed cap rate right now so there it's it's tough i get a lot of buyers that call and, and will say you know i like to get a five percent return you know on 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 the property that i buy and, and that's just really hard to get right now um your opportunities for that are you know, if you can if you can buy something that's a combination property of, um, you know, recreation and also tillable, where you're getting good income by renting out tillable, and maybe there's some programs you could put that recreational property into. Mm-hmm. Not great for hunters because a lot of those those uh, preserve programs or conservation programs, um, you know, you, you can you can do it and not lose your hunting rights, but it could be like plots, for example, in North Dakota where you're giving your hunting rights to other hunters. So. Um, but there are situations like that where you can bump that up. But going back to your questions, you got to be prepared to to buy. And if you know your numbers and you're committed to buying, um, just be prepared to buy in a squeeze cap rate and and know that over time that land should appreciate. Those rents should continue to increase, and and down the road it, it should look like a good investment. But um, know those numbers so that if there is an opportunity, prices do fall you know, you know, to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's good advice because I think people always want some silver bullet or some like golden piece of advice, but in reality, it's just being prepared, informed and and ready to make a a decision, an informed decision when you're ready. And so I think that's, that's certainly good advice and it will, I'm just, it's just been really fascinating to watch and, and pay close attention of everything that's going on because it, here there's still limited inventory in a lot of ways and the inventory that does become available has been pretty strong in terms of moving for a a price that i feel is pretty premium and Mm -hmm. uh, if you're willing to buy and hold do you feel that's that's the best approach like if you're buying it because you really like the parcel and you think that it's good a good long-term decision i feel like you can't go wrong would you agree yeah i would agree i mean this if you're going to buy it you know don't don't buy something that's going to you know stress yourself financially to where you're you know, eating ramen and mac and cheese and, <laughs> and, and hoping for appreciation in the future, sure. but, you know, buy at a comfortable level and, and, you know, trust or, or look at the data, make an educated decision that it, it should uh, appreciate. There's no guarantees, but look at your property before you buy it. You know, if I would rather pay too much for a premium property or pay a higher level for a premium property, than get uh, a discount on some property because it's got a serious flaw that's going to make it um, all the demand on that fall when the market gets a little more upside down than it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, that that really good property, when you're talking farmland, will typically stay up here. It'll go sideways and when you get into a depressed uh, grain cycle, but it doesn't typically fall. 
you see the overall land market in North Dakota will start to fall in a depressed gray market because that marginal land goes, the demand for it really falls. Mm. You know, but that good land, it'll, it'll, it stays high because the local guys around it know that it's an opportunity that could be once in a lifetime. So mm. they, they do still compete for it. That makes good sense. It's like the guy that wants to buy a house. And this is probably a dumb example, but like it's a guy that wants to buy a house. And then he's looking at like in Detroit. He's like, man, you can buy a house for like dirt cheap. <laughs> it's like, well, do you want to live there? Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you do. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's but, exactly right. Why is it so cheap? You got to look at those factors. Why is it so expensive? Why is it so cheap? What are the characteristics of that property? Uh, who are the buyers around it? Who are the farmers around it? And if you want, we can talk more specific for for rec property too. But um, yeah, it's you you want to buy things that people want because ultimately you're going to sell into that market too at some point. So um, yeah, if you're if you're buying low, just know the reason why you're buying low. Um, it, it, there there are dynamics to where you can get a good buy, but in this area it's mostly auctions um there are listings and so the the demand is so strong that it's it's hard to find a deal but if you can build relationships that'd be some other advice to buyers um if, if you know an area you're looking to to buy in and you can build some relationships with farmers um you know or, or local brokers there and just kind of say hey this is what i'm willing to do if you ever find something um that, that can go a long way too you know, we've worked with we've worked with farmers that have bought large tracts of ground that have some really nice uh, recreational property in it, and they don't they won't utilize that. They don't hunt, um, and they just they just put down a lot of capital to buy this. Um, so we you know we can survey out some some pieces of ground that someone else will come in and buy, and now it works two two ways. Now you got a really good steward of the land right around you, mm-hmm. and you have this relationship with them, so they can help kind of watch your land and plant food plots for you if you need to. Um, and, and you're helping them out by, by uh, relieving some of their, their, uh, their debt. So mm-hmm. we've had a couple of relationships like that. Um, so there are different ways you can do it, but you know, just got to identify what you want, know what you can pay and uh, just keep your eyes open. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me is obviously I think there's, there's big whitetails basically all across the country, but there's some, there's some States that come right to the top of mind and, the Dakotas necessarily don't jump out to you, but there's, you tell me, I mean, is there good hunting opportunity in the Dakotas for, yeah. for whitetail most specific, more specifically? Yeah. For, for whitetail there are. Um, so I'll, I'll break up North Dakota into a few different sections here. You have, you know, Eastern North Dakota, the Red River Valley, it's, uh, you know, very flat, uh, very low cover. There's not many natural trees. So um, you know, you kind of have the Red River Valley, then you have the low plains. So off the low plains, you'll have these um, fingers kind of flowing into the Red River Valley. So there's some really pristine hunting places uh, around these rivers where these fingers are formed. Um, but very limited opportunity there, obviously. You know, there's not a lot of public land. There's there's uh, uh, not a lot of cover. But if you do have access to those places, like you will find deer. Mm-hmm. And is there's there's not there's not a lot of competition with predators because they don't do as well in, in the open areas like deer do, you know, they, they need a little bit more uh, cover than they do. So you have that area and then you kind of go further West. Now you're in central North Dakota, you're kind of in the prairie pothole region, which is pretty unique to North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, great waterfall hunting, but uh, in those sloughs, you get huge whitetail, like you get just monsters. Um, and it's, so that can be another option. You get a combination property to where, yeah, it's, it's not like you're, Illinois, Iowa, 
uh, whitetail properties. It's it's more open. It's, you're you're walking sloughs, things like that. But that's fun. Like if you like to get into waterfowl, um, you know, if, depending how far west you are, you'll find pheasant in those sloughs and 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 whitetail. So. Uh, and then you keep going west, you get into more of the rolling hills into, into western North Dakota. And then, then you got some, you know, mule deer opportunity. You got big whitetail. Um, that's almost more like uh, hunting in, in Montana or, or, you know, the foothills of Colorado, mm-hmm. where you're you're taking long range shots. There's there's also pronghorn. Um, so it's it's a little bit different than than just finding cover. You're doing a lot more like plane hunting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Have yeah, you- there's. Have you seen more out-of-state people buying land in North Dakota? Because, like, obviously there's this mass exodus of states like Illinois, California, New York, and they're predominantly going to more red states. I mean, that's basically what the data shows. (laughs) Have you seen that happen over the last couple of years? North Dakota has been growing um, over the last several years. Um, As far as buying land, absolutely. I would say it's more geared towards waterfowl and pheasant. Um, You know, in western North Dakota, you'll – you'll see people buy large tracts of land um, for, for pheasant hunting or in central North Dakota, you'll see guys buy, um, you know, not quite so much, but a hundred acres, a couple hundred acres just for waterfowl. Um, in Eastern North Dakota, it's, it's more, I would say local people from, you know, the, the, the populations like Grand Forks and Fargo um, that are buying smaller tracts of land so they can go bow hunt for the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's been, uh, we've got a lot of interest in that just from from interested buyers just in the last 10 years or so the amount of rifle permits that have been issued in north dakota have really decreased they've they've, they've crept up over the last you know five or six so they're getting back to where they were but it it urged a lot of people if they wanted to get meat in the freezer they had to go buy a bow and start start <laughs> archery so so that that changed and, and and people fall in love with it so then they're looking for land and, mm-hmm. and so that's that's changed the dynamic as well um but to, to answer your question for, for whitetail, I don't think it's much of an out-of-state destination um, fire pool. I don't think it's quite a destination for that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's what, what is your gut? Is. What do you say? What, what's your gut feeling on the whitetail? I mean, so I can just tell you, growing up from Illinois, like it has progressively, I hate to say it, but it's gotten a little bit worse. I mean, and I I wouldn't say a little bit. Like even in the last couple of years, I've noticed that the general population feels like it's declined slightly, and then so just as a diehard whitetail person, you look at all these different states and then you look at some of the ground over there, it's it's drastically cheaper and yeah. less hunting pressure. And some of the deer that they're killing are still really darn good. So like, yeah, as just like a general hedge, like what is your, what is your gut? Do you think there'll, there'll be a day where it becomes more of a destination? This is a gut, gut feeling. So there's no wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Just for the reasons that you, you stated, I mean, you're buying land here at a fraction of a price. So it was just never in the past really an option. I don't think that somebody who wanted to sell their ground could market to out of state hunters. Um, so now that that there are people like you, Jake, and and people listening that are looking for land to to hunt in different states just for whitetail, I, I think so. I think it'll increase uh, the interest for sure, and then and then possibly the values um, because the, the 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 deer population in North Dakota is good, um, and it is a high success rate because of the lack of cover. So if you do have an area where you have good cover, food, water, there will be deer there. And and if you can buy in a way that you can manage that and manage that herd, like I think the success rate is probably higher than than a lot of places. Like, you know, for example, we're out right on the border with Minnesota and you go a couple hours east into Minnesota and you get into uh, 
more woods and, and timber country. Well, I got a lot of friends that have hunting cabins out there and those deer can go anywhere they want. I mean, there's, there's woods all the way to, they're limited. All the way to the coast. Yeah, yeah. So they, they can, they can really travel. So, uh, you know, managing that deer, the herd is a lot more difficult one because you have a lot more predators when you get out there, you have more, more yotes, you got wolves, um, you know, in, in, in North Dakota, there are places where you can have coyote issues, but that's manageable. And, and so your I think your success rate's a little bit higher versus, you know, picking a place that's more heavily timber, like Montana, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's more improvable, I think, because you, you can improve by addition versus uh, in, in Minnesota, it's more subtraction, you got to cut lanes and, mm-hmm. and just hopefully stay on your property. Yeah, that's, that's really unique and interesting. Where do you see most of the buyers that you work with that are buying recreational land? Like, are they coming from the Grand Fork area itself or Fargo or, or in Minnesota? I mean, where are most of those folks coming from to buy recreational land? Yeah, so the buyers I've worked with, um, kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, were guys that are located in a city of North Dakota. So uh, Grand Forks and Fargo mm-hmm. that were looking in in rural areas for property. Um, and then it, it kind of depends on the land too. Like we talked about that that sale, what we had that mm-hmm. there was out gratis opportunity. Um, that That opportunity for landowner preference for elk is only for North Dakota residents. So that kind of takes out, sure. you know, out of state buyers because they don't get the same hunting rights to it. So yeah, we mostly in state, uh, mostly regional are the buyers that we work with. Mm-hmm. No. But the interest comes from all over. You know, we when when we advertise hunting property, it seems like we get interest from Illinois, from Iowa, from Southern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because like, Look, you know, I have Google Maps up right now and I'm looking at the satellite and a lot of it does look very barren, just very, <laughs> very uh, empty. But like to your point, like there's looks like there's some areas that have some pretty cool spots. But what about those ones that just have I, I would call them more marshy? Like, would that be a good candidate? It depends what you're looking for. I mean, uh, they can be uh, one because a lot of times in those area in the areas that all the high ground is farmable. So you have a good income opportunity off of it by renting out that farm ground. Um Two, it's very diverse. I mean, you can go out there and limit out on ducks, and then come back with with a, a rifle in the afternoon and and try to find a deer or, or try to find some some fur bears. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I think so. I mean, uh, I like that kind of hunting. And like I said, if you're far enough west and there's pheasant in those sloughs, that's a blast. Um, and and so it depends on what what you're into. But it's very diverse. You can do a lot of different things with it. There's income opportunity. Um, so it just depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, I'm on the very surface level of interest. Like I, it's something. It's a thing that I <laughs> I always like kind of poke around random parts of the country just for fun, and uh, it's very interesting uh, to me. So what about um, this over the years that you've you've learned? I mean, what we've talked a little bit, but like, what other advice would you provide first time land buyers? Like, what advice do they really need to nail down? Um, do you think they really need to, to nail their financing or to set a budget or really become uh, aware of their goals? I mean, what typically do you think that most first-time land buyers maybe are overlooking? Um, yeah, first, they just got to get familiar with the areas that they're looking at um, because every area has different nuances. Um, and when you're looking at hunting property, make sure you understand the rights to that property. Um, oftentimes, you can see a listing come up and it seems really cheap. Uh, you know, it seems undervalued. It's probably because it, it could have a wetland reserve program easement on it or some other conservation easement that does limit your rights. Um, understand what what income is the land is getting in present and then understand what the potential for that income could be 
if you did things a little differently um you know is 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 the rent being paid on tillable ground is that market rent is it is it too high is it too low mm-hmm. um are there are there other options that you could put um could you put uh, a water bank program in which which uh in north dakota water bank is flooded ground like if there's uh, flooded ground it could qualify for a, a payment for water bank that you don't lose hunting rights for that so that would be a good good option for for a hunter there's all these different things that about each individual area that you need to learn so i would say you know identify an area try to identify um people in that area that you can talk to um i think ideally uh, a farmer you know someone that's actually farming ground that uh that you can build a relationship with because they they will see opportunities before you will you know if they have a landlord that's that's uh, looking to retire and there's a good chunk of recreational property and you could help them out by purchasing that and they purchase the tillable ground i mean you, you just got to start by talking to people and learning uh, educate yourself um understand what things are worth understand what you can afford and and try to understand the demand of that market so so you can kind of gauge a little bit more accurately if it's going to appreciate or how fast. Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic advice. And I, what are some of the just general rental rates that you see? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it depends on what part of the state and everything else, soil ratings, but like, can mm-hmm. you give a general parameter of what you have seen over the last year or so for cash rent? Well, uh, ASFMRA just released the uh, 2022 rates today. I haven't got the copy yet, so I haven't seen what what year over year on average they've done, but they, they've, you know, moderately increased, not very much because, you know, even though those prices have come up over the last couple of years, expenses have been, you know, record high as well. So um, most landlords understand that. And, and so they haven't increased a whole lot, but for North Dakota as a whole, I mean, your, your top end, top end, and these are kind of outliers would be like $300 an acre. Mm-hmm. And south in the uh, like southeast part of the states, and in some areas where there's specialty crops like potatoes and sugar beets in the Red River Valley, um, but you're looking more, uh, you know, under a hundred dollars when you get out west in in you know the Prairie Pothole region, uh, where you're where there's a lot of sloughs and, and low areas. I call that the low plains, and then you get out west, and I call that the high plains. Um, so it's really all all across the board. Um, you know, you get Western North Dakota, there's more, there's more ranches, there's more livestock. Um, there's really none of that in Eastern North Dakota. So it's, it's mostly tillable land. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a pretty extensive auction background. What, why do you like auctions? I think, uh, they're exciting. <laughs> they're certainly exciting, but, but why are you a proponent of, of auctions? And maybe would you, when is a time where you wouldn't be it, where you wouldn't think that an auction would be, make the most sense for either buying or selling? I'm a big proponent just because um, the way we market it and the auction met- method of marketing is is the best form of price discovery. Um, in a in a market like this where there's such high demand, you know, we we're routinely shooting over what we estimate as far as what the auction is going to bring. I mean, we're we're shooting it over it, you know, much higher than we we think we are going to just about every time. So the the alternative to me is is price a listing. Um, higher than what the comparable sales data can support. And, and I'm a little uncomfortable doing that because you can just negotiate down from that point. I'd much rather put it up uh, on auction and let the market bear it and, and the bidders can negotiate up with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm a proponent of it. It's an accepted method of sales in this area. You know, certain areas I wouldn't recommend um, if if there hasn't been an auction there in a few years, I wouldn't recommend going and doing that method if buyers are, are much more comfortable with with other sales methods, whether it be 
you know, sealed bid or whether it be uh, traditional listing. So that's just kind of the area that we we are in. Uh, it's it's seems to be the most effective. Uh, times where I wouldn't recommend it would be um, really large tracts of land that are specialized, like recreational property. If you have like a thousand acres of of rec property that's real high value, there's a lot of nuance to it, it and it can't be split up. Um, you're going to want people, you're going to want to allow people a lot of time to go walk it and, and look at it. And there might be a lot more contingencies um, on an offer that they can make. Like if if you do X, Y, Z, I'll pay a full price. You know, it's things that the sellers could do to make it uh, more attractive to that to that buyer to get a deal done at a high price. That's something you can't really do at an auction. It is kind of is what it is, and then you just determine the price at auction. Mm-hmm. And so if it's if it's a real diverse property that that can't be split into tracks, I would recommend maybe doing more of a, a traditional listing method. Mm-hmm. With everything that's going on in just I would say ag tech and just the agricultural space in general, is there anything that just really excites you about the future of land that just has you fired up? This land itself excites me, Jake. I don't know. I don't even need to talk about tech, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, that's that's an interesting question. Um, You know, what we've seen over the past couple of years with online auctions and how how much um, the market has gone that way, purely online versus the live auctions, um, that's been something that's been uh, a, a good advantage for our sellers in certain situations. Um, we still do live auctions as well um, when we feel that's the best route and our sellers want to go that route. Um, but that that aspect of it has been has been great for our sellers that online's become so normal and so many more bidders are comfortable with it. Um, and a lot of different auctioneers and auction companies do a really good job of of getting that information out there. So it's really clear. Um, it's simple to do. As far as other technology, I mean, it's 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 amazing what you can do sitting in your chair there in, in Illinois and what you can learn about a piece of land in North Dakota, just the different tools that are that are coming available. So you can you can get a pretty you know accurate range of what that should rent for. You can get a pretty accurate idea of um, how often it's going to flood, get a pretty accurate idea of, of what crops can be grown on it. Um, so so that's that's the exciting part is that you know buyers are just getting more and more educated. Mm-hmm. And you know those those are the 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 best people to work with that uh, come in and and have done their research and now you know they want you to go look at it they want uh, some more maybe context nuance of the 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 people the area the the different uh, farmers or 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 people that could help them with with their discovery of that land but they come in with a firm foundation of kind of what they're looking for and and uh, so I, that that stuff excites me the the more tools that buyers can get like that and and sellers too um, it's just going to make you know, the land market, uh, easier to navigate for everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> that is extremely exciting. I think that's, that's something that maybe people take for granted. I kind of grew up in the, in the age of the internet. So I can imagine someone that is not used to, to being able to go look and, and literally see all the different information and data across the entire country. Like I feel when you look at a map and you really start breaking down all these different areas, like the world does inherently feel smaller because it's like yeah. you can just literally look at everything everywhere and all that information is pretty much published and accessible. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. Do you think that will eventually create the landmark? Because I feel in some parts of the country, some markets are more efficient than others, meaning just more information, more data, um, maybe more sophisticated buyers. And do you think that the entire space becomes much more efficient and there'll be quote unquote less, less deals than even 10 years ago. 
No, uh, no, I don't think the amount of transactions will will change. I think that's purely driven by um, the situations of the owners themselves versus then the. Uh, I think the tools are, are are more geared towards buyers and their situations, and they're ready to act. But oftentimes, sellers don't make the choice to act. You know, it can be mm-hmm. uh, time to retire. Um, could be you know family member passes away. Uh, the, the the transitional ownership will never change. Um, so I think those, those tools will never, um, I don't think they'll increase or, or decrease the transaction amount, but they, I think they will change the dynamics of buyer pools for sure. I think they'll, they'll be good for land values for, you know, for land owners, there might be areas that are, you know, to you, like you said, kind of off the charts when we're talking about North Dakota here, you have you're just scratching the surface, but the more you learn, the more you recognize like this area reminds me of this area in Illinois mm-hmm. and and, and people really like this area for X, Y, Z. Well, I see a lot of the same components here. The only difference is geography. And and as tools develop, like you said, geography shrinks. The world gets smaller. And and so it doesn't seem like such a foreign land. And, you know, if you feel that you're buying really similar opportunities as far as re- your recreation and income, then uh, it, it, it makes you more likely to, to make that jump at some point. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah this it, it's this it feels like things are just going fast and i feel like that's probably just every industry everywhere like as things just become more efficient more information becomes available like it's just the most sure thing is time like it just it it just happens no matter what um what is there any mistakes that you have seen over the years that you would want to advise people just to be aware of and this could be on the buying side this could be on the selling side but just like any cardinal sins that you're like oh don't do that um on the buying side, the most common comment to me is that they should have bought it. That's honestly the, the most feedback I get. And I'm, and I'm an auctioneer, so that's more my world. But as you know, I talk to people uh, that I've seen at sales over the years, and yeah, I should have bought that one. I should have pulled the trigger on that one. Yeah. Um, so I think just going into a sale, uh, just extremely confident and, and motivated on what you want to buy and and not being afraid to pull the trigger. I mean, don't go over what, what your budget is, obviously, but you know, sometimes you got to see a property for for what it what it can be and not exactly what it is. And and that that could mean just the enjoyment over the years or or uh recognize that we're we're looking at assets that are constantly appreciating and you might never get another chance to buy lower. I mean it's just when you look at over the past 10 years, it's just those opportunities you had 10 years ago, probably are never going to come back again. Mm-hmm. So you just got to get started in, in one way or another. And if, if it's uh if that means, you know, forming a group, you know, get in a group of guys together that you, you want to go in with. And so it's uh, a smaller bite and, and more, more buying power. There's, there's options like that, but just figuring out a way to get started. Cause if it's your passion and something you're really interested in, um, there's, there's never, there's hardly ever a perfect situation. Like you're going to have to, you know, take the leap. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes if you go with a group of guys that you got a couple of guys to give you a shove. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and to your point, it, it kind of lessens the burden across the board as well. Yeah. Is there, uh, so we, I've had people on here discuss like different strategies for buying land as a group. And I've heard the, some of the, the pitfalls of buying land as a group too. Is there any advice you have? on that and 
I, I just, a lot of times you see parcels come up and like, well, what's the motivation of them selling? Like, well, it was a group, a couple of guys that bought together and they want to sell it now. <laughs> like you can kind of read between the lines of why that is. And there's other people that have done it on multiple tracks and they're able to buy more land and, and enjoy it as a group. So is there anything, just any general advice that you'd provide? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, go through an attorney to, to actually form your, your legal entity uh, talk to a CPA so you understand if there's income, how that's going to um, come back to you as an individual, um, you know, and and just have a lot of dialogue with with the group. Uh, make sure they're they're you know people you trust and um, kind of have an understanding. You know, I I would recommend a written understanding on mm-hmm. on uh, how you're going to use that property. Are you a group that hunts together? Well, great, then then there's really no issue. Uh, if you're a group that all have your own families, you know, all you have your own kids and you want to go hunt, then, you know, spell that out so they don't feel like um, you're stepping on someone's toes if you go two weekends in a row or, you know, you got to have those those dialogues up front. Um, yeah, my brother-in-law, he he's one of the guys I was alluding to earlier with a, a cabin in Minnesota. Uh, they have formal meetings. They have a, a corporation stuff. They have formal meetings where they record minutes and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's it's a family thing where it's been passed down to one generation now and it probably will again. Um, so you just you got a lot of people involved and and they love it. I mean, it's, it hasn't been an issue, um, I think, because of how organized they've been. But you, you can't own something with a group of people um, and, and not have a plan. So that, that would be my my biggest advice. And and things will change with each individual. And that would be another thing I'd recommend is just have that spelled out on if an individual wants to sell their interest of the property. Um, you know, we we've done it with with uh, with property that we bought that you know, we have the option to to buy out that interest at at an agreed upon value um, <laughs> at that time. You know, whether it's appraised value or average of two appraisals. Um, you know, and and if it we pass on that, then they have the right to, you know, go try to find someone else to buy in. Mm-hmm. But uh, that would be something I'd recommend too, just just so if something changed in your situation where uh, you, you could use that capital for something else and you're not using the property, then you have an exit strategy. Yeah, that that's great advice. And I think to your point of like, just over commute, like some people may poke fun of having meeting minutes and, and doing all that, but uh, that that may be uh, a contributor to the health of that that group there in terms of what their yeah. goals are and and how well they communicate. I think that's fantastic. Well, and it just legitimizes to to your wives or girlfriend why you're getting together to drink a bunch of beer afterward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a business get, meeting. Yep, yep. We got to get our meeting minutes for the quarter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah, and it's just a, a fun way to stay communicated because if if you're buying land with a group, more than likely you share a similar passion, and you don't want to lose sight of that. I mean, that's remember why you bought it would probably be yeah. something to, to just consider. Um, anything else here? I mean, I think we covered a lot of really good pieces of information. And I think uh, it sparks, it continues to spark my interest of, of ground and kind of that part of the country in general, but uh, anything else here? Well, just know you got an open invitation to, to come see for yourself what North Dakota is like. I would recommend waiting a couple months. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not a lot to see right now. Uh, uh-huh. If you like snowmobiling, it's, it's a great time to come come visit. If you like ice fishing, it's a great time to come visit, but, uh, for, for hunting, uh, wait a couple, couple months. Sure. No, I appreciate that. Where can people find, um, you and, and everything else that you have going on? 
Yeah, our website's uh, www.acrepro.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me at uh, david.gorder at acrepro.com or give me a call at 701-739-1292. Awesome. So yeah, if anyone if anyone's ever, ever has any questions about land in North Dakota or uh, anything we've talked about today, reach out anytime. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate your time. appreciate your expertise as a North Dakota native and, uh, and wish you the best best of luck uh, for this upcoming year. Yeah, you too, Jake. Thank you for having me on. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Next week, we have Steve Hansen. I went out to Iowa the first week of March or maybe it was last week of February and walked around, checked out some farms that he has and also some client farms. Really enjoyed it. We sat down and recorded a podcast about a variety of landowner things. So I hope you guys enjoy that episode. It's going to go live next Monday. Be sure to check out the Exodus and Prime RevX giveaway. That is it. See you. Have a good week.